Hello everyone, this is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 32. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei and I'm your host. Today's episode is all about three keys to restoring connection with your spouse. Welcome back to the Connected Family Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here again in our discussion about how to build connected families. We're really committed to building resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. And sometimes that means we shift back and forth in our topics. Sometimes our topics are all about resilient kids, and they involve things like empathy skills, helping your child develop emotional intelligence, helping your child with anger, self-esteem, or how to integrate the teenage brain, which was just last week's topic. Today, however, we're focused on strong marriages. How can you build a strong marriage? And in my opinion, one of the best ways to have a connected family is to have a strong and connected marriage. And so our conversation today is about how to restore connection in your marriage after there's been a season of disconnection, or maybe even not a long season, but a conflict in which you have felt disconnected from your marriage partner. And so we're going to be talking, going a little bit back, talking about all the way in the beginning of the Connected Family Podcast, episode number three, and the Demon Dialogues, and extending that conversation with three marriage conversations for connection, which are accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement. And all this information comes from the book by Johnson and Sandifer, that is Susan Johnson and Kenny Sandifer, Created for Connection, the Hold Me Tight Guide for Christian Couples. So if you listened to episode number three of the Connected Family Podcast, first of all, thank you so much for coming along on the ride all this time, all the way up to thirty, episode number 32. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a brief summary, but I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode number three, where we talk more in depth about the three demon dialogues or the three most common patterns of conflict that occur in relationship. So first off, there is, as described by Susan Johnson, find the bad guy. This dance occurs when both partners are stuck using attack as a way to protect oneself from feeling vulnerable, alone, or unsafe. Each partner blames the other for the problem because disconnection has made it unsafe to be vulnerable vulnerable and acknowledge one's own responsibility in the problem. John blames the family's financial issues on Mary, Mary's irresponsible spending habits, while Mary blames John for not working hard enough to provide for the family. So this just becomes a cyclical pattern of blaming the other for the problems in the marriage. And what I think is really, really important here is that the root of it is in disconnection. Each person does not feel safe enough in this dial in this dynamic find the bad guy to admit wrongdoing to acknowledge mistakes a lot of times this lack of safety occurs because of hurts that have happened in the marriage or sometimes even past hurts which each partner may take with them into the marriage and so they're unable to be vulnerable unable to open themselves up for the risk that it is to say "Mm, 
I just really messed up in that. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to do better next time. Man, that's risky to do that, to say I messed up and I'm going to try to do better. Because if you've been stuck in this find the bad guy pattern, when you do open yourself up to that vulnerability and that admitting a mistake, often our partner will pounce on that and jump on it and take advantage of it. So finding the bad guy is one, the first common pattern that occurs in marriages that are really struggling struggling to connect. Next is called protest polka. This is the most common pattern encountered in marriage counseling and is also sometimes called the pursuer-distancer dynamic. One partner protests against a growing disconnection in the marriage by pursuing the other. Many times this pursuit feels more like demanding or criticism to the partner the other partner, which causes that person to withdraw even more. And so the more the pursuer reaches out for connection, the more the distancer withdraws into him or herself and into his own corner. The pursuer is looking for reassurance about questions like, do you care about me? Do I matter to you? Am I important to you? While the distancer is just attempting to protect oneself from feelings of not having done enough, not being good enough and being a failure. I have in my work as a as a professional counselor, I've encountered this dynamic over and over again and I've actually had some people say these exact words in a counseling session. Many people say these exact words uh, and asking those questions of am I important to you? Do you care about me? Do you love me? And then in other situations I try to draw those experiences out. I try to encourage um those expressions when they seem to be underlying some of the dynamics. The challenge here, I believe, is that often the way we experience our partner is different than how they desire to communicate with us. So the reaching out on behalf of the pursuer is really a strong desire for connection. But in many times, it is experienced as demanding or criticism. And our partner who is distancing or the partner who is distancing it doesn't desire to be disconnected necessarily. However, that partner is only protecting oneself. And so if we can view our partners differently, which we'll get to a little bit later, we can understand where their behavior is coming from and have a much deeper um, connection to them and even empathy for them in these dynamics and in the dance that occurs. So there was find the bad guy, then protest polka, and now freeze and flee. This is a dialogue of silence. Both partners are hunkered down in their respective foxholes and hope is nearly gone. The pursuer has no more energy to protest and therefore shuts down to protect oneself from hurt and loneliness. Imagine how difficult it is to be reaching out desperately seeking connection from your partner and not have it be effective and to have that partner actually move further and further away from you. And after a while, you're just hurt and pained and lonely and you don't have the energy to reach out anymore. And finally, the distancer is enjoying a little bit of peace and is feeling like, oh, they've let up on me a little bit and I haven't messed up so much lately, but still needs to be a little bit disconnected um, in order to defend against what feels like a sneak attack. So every partner's tried everything they know to fix the problem, but they still feel like they're just spinning around, 
going around in that same dance over and over again, and the hurt just gets deeper and deeper. And so then the question becomes, what do we do? Is there anything that we can do as partners in our own home to restore the connection? Because the most important thing and the way that these dances can be recreated into something new is to create connection. So that connection has to start with creating safety. It has to be safe enough for each partner to be vulnerable, to admit mistakes, and to reach out for the other for connection when those mistakes have been made. So often these dances begin when a partner feels disconnected from their spouse and their attachment alarm goes off. They go, there's an alarm going off that says, you're disconnected, you're disconnected, you need connection with humans, something isn't right here, and there's these bells going off in this person and it just creates this feeling of discomfort and uncertainty and even in the literature, it's called primal panic. And so they panic. They're feeling so disconnected from their partner, that person that is so important to them, that they reach out. And often they reach out in one of two ways. They become demanding or clingy or in a desperate effort to reconnect. They shut down and pull away. Both of these approaches are the best way they know how to build reconnection with their partner. They're doing the best they can, trying to figure it out and make it work. And that very skill, that very thing that worked for them really well, probably in some other context, does not work quite as well in this context with this uh, loved one, with this relationship. And so the way, the antidote, as John Gutman calls it to this dance, is to use these three techniques or to think about communicating and being present for your partner using accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement. So an accessible partner is one that is there when reached for. When feeling alone, scared, and vulnerable, we reach out to our loved ones in an attempt to gain comfort, to utilize them as our secure base and place of safety. When a partner is accessible, they remain present for their spouse and provide empathy, validation, and compassion. Although this reaching may come across as anger, contempt, and maybe even desperation, the responsive spouse views that reach, that reach out as a need driven by hurt and fear. So this is where we begin to see our partners in a whole new way. When we understand that our behavior is driven by what's happening inside, driven by emotions, the attachment alarm going off, the need for connection to our secure base and that very, very important other, then we begin to see that behavior that's coming towards us not as something that's directed at us intentionally to cause us to feel a certain way, but it's really communication from our partner about how they are feeling on the inside, which often is lonely, hurt, and scared. And so if I can see that reach as driven by hurt and fear, then I'm able to be more present. I'm able to be accessible to my partner so that when they reach out, I am there. And I can, in that accessibility, send the message of, you are not alone. I'm here for you, and we're going to get through this together. So accessibility. 
when we are accessible, then also the next step is responsive. A responsive partner is one that is moved. Not only are they accessible and available to their partner, saying, I'm with you, I'm going to walk through this with you, but they're moved by the reach of the partner. So sometimes when we are overwhelmed by another person's emotions, we hide from it, we stuff it down, we deny it, we invalidate it. Oh, don't feel that way. It's okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to, nothing's going to happen. We're going to be okay. Which actually, although we're in trying to help our partner to feel better when we do this and make the feelings go away, it actually often makes it worse. And as we try to make those feelings go away, we're really communicating to our partner, I'm not accessible to you. I can't handle this. Your, your feelings are overwhelming to me and I have to deny them and invalidate them. And you shouldn't be feeling them because they're really scary for me. So the responsive partner is accessible and is able to respond to the emotions of their partner in a way in that their partner is feeling felt. A responsive partner is able to feel the other. They're moved in an emotional way with a deep understanding of the hurt, loss, and fear. Understanding one's partner in this way creates a sense of moving toward each other. And the reaching out has worked. And the hurting part partner experiences reconnection. So not only are you available, you can hear, you can validate, you can have empathy for, but hearing and listening to the pain of your partner moves you and moves you toward your partner rather than further away. And your partner can actually feel. We have within us these things called mirror neurons. And when our partner or someone we are in conversation with feels something, the neurons in our brain mirror that. And we also can feel a part of that. And as long as we are not overwhelmed by that and run away from it, as long as we stay and move toward our partner and moved by them, then we can restore that sense of connection. And then lastly, the engagement part. So the really, really hard part of walking through these difficult conversations with our partner is to remain engaged. And I've mentioned this already several times, just in these few minutes that I've been talking about this, is that an engaged partner is one that has been moved, feels the pain of our partner, but stays in it. They're able to maintain the connection with the partner throughout this difficult time. They don't run away from the power emotion, powerful emotions. They don't downplay them or seek to minimize them. An engaged partner is able to feel the emotion while experiencing a safe connection with self and the other. So I love that last sentence, while experiencing a safe connection with self and the other. I often talk about the importance of being able to be a whole self, a person who is individual, who has an identity of our own, and also deeply connected with our partner. And the term that's often used in the literature and books and marriage research is interdependent. We talk a lot in our culture about independence and the desire to be autonomy, have autonomy and um, be independent from one another and have freedom and be able to have friends and go out and, and not be constrained by the marriage relationship. But what is 
scary about that is that when we are you know, totally independent from our partner, we're actually disconnected from them and we lose some of the wonderful power of having a secure base in our marriage relationship. So interdependence is the ability for a person to be connected, dependent on another while also being independent from that other. So being able to have an identity of one's own interests, of one's own thoughts, feelings, emotions of one's own, but also at the same time being dependent on that person. It's this wonderful balance, very tricky balance to uh, manage of being dependent on our partner and also independent from our partner at the same time. Lots of researchers talk about this. One of them particularly is Murray Bowen, and he describes this um, as not enmeshment and not cut off, but as I'm having a problem remembering the term right now, the term is differentiation. It came to me. I just needed to be able to concentrate and think a little bit. A differentiated self. We're able to be independent and dependent on at the same time. And Murray Bowen talks about it a lot in context of our family of origin. So I hope that if you are struggling with your marriage, if you feel disconnected and you see yourself repeating one of those demon dialogues with your partner, the demon dialogue of find the bad guy, the protest polka, or the freeze and flee, and you're wondering how in the world am I going to reconnect with my partner, my challenge to you, my hope for you, would that you is that you would look at these three ways of being present and having connected communication with your partner. Be accessible, be responsive, and remain engaged. It is so hard. I imagine it would be quite scary, particularly in the context of one of the three demon dialogues that I mentioned earlier. It takes great risk and vulnerability. Um, however, with taking that action, with making yourself more accessible, responsive, and engaged, you have hope of restoring that connection with your partner, which can create the safe space, the secure base that you need in order to be interdependent and truly independent and dependent on your partner all at the same time. And not only is that good for you and your partner, it's incredible for your children in that they have the opportunity to see you model that in your family, and then they learn how to recreate that type of relationship with each other, with you, and with their future spouses someday. So it not only has an impact on your marriage, it has an incredible impact on the future marriages of your children. Folks, I hope this was helpful. If you found it helpful, I really encourage you to go over to the into iTunes and the podcast app, uh, rate this episode, make a comment in regards to how it was helpful for you, because if you rate it and you make a comment, that helps the podcast to climb up those charts and enables more people to be able to see this information, learn and grow in their marriages in a way that builds connection with their spouse and their partner and their children and the rest of the family. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. 
We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about the three keys to restoring connection with your spouse, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling or our website at connectionsquincy.com.